Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again to come before your word. We thank you, O God, that your word clarifies for us the confusion of life, that your word encourages us when we feel weary, that your word strengthens us when we need strength, that, Lord, your word gives us joy when all we see and all we feel is sadness and anguish. Lord, that when we are at our lowest point, your word comes in and lifts us up and causes us to be made strong. We thank you that the Bible says the entrance of your word gives light and it brings life into our hearts. And so this morning we purpose to receive everything that you have for us to receive from your word today. We come with humility and with expectation because we know that you're good and you're a great God. We love you this morning and we give you praise for these things in Jesus name and let everybody say, Amen and amen. I am excited to preach this morning. So I hope y'all are ready to receive what I got to share with you. We're starting a new series today on the book of Philippians. Starting a new series on the book of Philippians. Thank you for that excitement, whoever that was over here on this side. Thank you. Um, this, is, this is an interesting thing. We were, we were in prayer, uh, gosh, probably about a month ago. Uh, well, just one of our Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon prayer groups that we, we have here at the church. Uh, and we were sitting there praying, and I heard the Lord speak to me really clearly. Uh, it was really clear. He said, your next series is Philippians. And it was just like, not a suggestion. It was like, your next series is Philippians. I said, Yes, sir. Sounds great. And I I was really happy to receive that direction. I thought, this is wonderful. The Lord's got something to say to his people, you know, and that's going to be good. Um, And then I started to dig into the book and started to read it. Um, And those who have preached will understand this. Uh, When you read for your own edification, it's one thing. When you're studying to prepare, it's a whole nother thing. And so though I've read Philippians for most of my life, as I began to dig into it in preparation to teach, man, I just started to see so much in there that I didn't see before, you know? There's something about... Something about going deeper on purpose that causes you to just see things uh, and experience things that you didn't know were even there. My, my dad says there's two ways you can study the Bible. You can study the Bible like a person who's a water skier, or you can study the Bible like a scuba diver. Uh, you know, the water skier on top of the water has a great time. It's a, it's a very exciting thing, and they'll do it a lot and a lot, and they'll really enjoy water skiing. But they don't get to see the same thing that the scuba diver sees. Same body of water, same ocean, same whatever, but uh, the guy that goes deep gets to see something that the guy that stays on the surface doesn't get to see. And so as I dove into this, I really started to uncover stuff, and my heart began to get really excited because I see the, the intentionality in God's timing, why it is that he would have us to look at Philippians right now, why, why it is that he would have us look at this series at this time in our lives and in our community and in our country. As we uncover the main two themes of this book, I think you'll get an immediate sense 
of why this message is so important for us during this time. And I'll say that this is going to be our summer series. We're going to take our time going through the book. If it takes us four weeks, we'll get through it. If it takes us six weeks or eight weeks, I don't even care. As long as it takes, we're going to take our time through it. And we're just going to just squeeze every ounce of goodness that we can out of the book of Philippians. What do you think about that? Amen. So I want to encourage you again, you know, those who are watching online, comment, share, uh, give us some feedback, give us a thumbs up, and uh, we want to remain connected even though uh, circumstances force us to be apart. So let me give you a little bit of background on this book, on the city of Philippi. You can turn to Philippians 1 if you want. We'll get to those scriptures here in just a few minutes. Um, But let me give you a little bit of background on the city of Philippi first. Philippi was once part of the region of Macedonia. The city of Philippi is now, now it lies in what is northeastern Greece. Um, so if you go look at it on Google Earth, you can, you can actually see where the ancient city of Philippi was. It's another city now. Uh, most of Philippi, the original city, has been uh, decayed into ruin, but there's still some ruins there that you can see, and it, it's kind of kind of a cool thing to think about going and walking in the same places that the Apostle Paul walked, walking where Jesus walked. It's kind of kind of makes the the Bible come alive, you know, to think in those terms. Um, so it was in what was then called Macedonia. Macedonia now is a little tiny country north of Greece, but then it was much larger. And so Philippi was one of the cities there. It was an old Macedonian city, which had been turned into a Roman colony, and it was both Greek and Roman in its characteristics. I found this interesting. Based on the ethnic diversity of the individuals mentioned in the book of Acts and in the book of Philippians, it's believed to have been a very cosmopolitan city. So it was a city that had people from all different nations and tribes and creeds and so forth. Um, In some of the reading that I did, I found that Philippi was a miniature Rome as it were. It was under the municipal law of Rome and governed by military officers who had been directly appointed there from Rome. So this is a significant city. It's not a huge city. It doesn't have some of the grandeur of Athens or Corinth or Ephesus, perhaps, but it's a significant city nonetheless. Christianity had been introduced here by two Jews who were Roman citizens, and by a Jewish son of a Gentile father. Again, you're looking at a a municipality that's cosmopolitan. It's got a lot of different groups represented in it. You find some of this according to the uh, the account given in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Though it wasn't a major cultural center or a major center of religion and trade, like Ephesus or Corinth, it is a very very significant city within the body of Christ at that time. And I'll explain why in just a moment. It's a very, very significant city, even though it's not a huge metropolis. So what makes this city and this church that Paul planted in this city so significant? Why are we even bringing it up? It's significant for two reasons. Number one, it's the very first church that was ever started in the continent of Europe. Every other church that had been planted uh, up up to that time, Christianity, you'll remember, started in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, and then it spread in every direction from there. 
Uh, and, and a lot of Christianity happened. Paul went north into what is now modern-day Turkey. God bless you. Into what is now modern-day Turkey. Uh, and he planted churches there. He planted the Galatian church in Turkey. And then he started to travel west towards Europe. And he left Turkey. That area was called Asia Minor back then. He left Asia Minor and he went into Greece. And this is the first church that he planted after he crossed into Europe. And it's very significant because it became a hub from where the gospel began to spread north and, in, and west into Rome, into then Spain, and, it, and the gospel began to, to uh, go from that direction. So number one, it's significant because it's the first church ever started in Europe, and it was a second church that Paul planted. And then number two, it's the only church who ever partnered with the Apostle Paul in spreading the gospel. This is very significant and very interesting. We'll find out why as we get a little farther through this. But it's the only church that ever saw the value in Paul enough to partner with him, including Galatians. Think about all the churches Paul planted. He planted a church in Ephesus, in Corinth, in Thessalonica. He planted in Philippi. He planted in Colossae. He planted so many churches in so many different places. Paul was, the, was God's spearhead to cause the church to become the church in the first 70 years of the church's existence. Nobody had the impact that Paul had, and yet there was only one church that partnered with him and it was these guys in Philippi. Isn't that amazing? I didn't, I didn't know that. I mean, I knew that they had partnered with him, but I didn't realize they were the only ones that did. Nobody else was interested in pouring back into Paul. They were just like we are sometimes, consumers. For this reason, it's remembered, the, the, the church in Philippians is remembered as perhaps Paul's favorite church. It was the one that he returned to over and over and over again. During his three missionary journeys, he would crisscross. He would go from Jerusalem or from Antioch, and he would crisscross across Turkey into Greece to Rome, back, and he would just go like this, these big kind of arcs around the Mediterranean. And every time, he would just stop back in in Philippi and see his people. It's like, man, I, I'm going over to Corinth to talk to those goobers. I'm going to stop and say hi to my people in Philippi. So this was a place that Paul really, really loved. It is the church that Paul shares his greatest level of intimacy with. And it's the church which he seems to show the greatest fondness toward. He talks, this is, this is the lens that I want you guys, and I want all of us for the next several weeks, this is the lens that I want us to read Philippians through. He talks to the people of this church with the intimate tones of a father speaking to his children. He talks to the people of this church with the intimate tones of a father speaking to his kids. There's an openness to the way that he shares his heart and his sense of purpose. It's like he seems to be more candid with the Philippians. He seems, he seems very relaxed. You know, when you, when you read Ephesians or Colossians, he's giving strong doctrine. You know, you go read Romans. It's a thesis. It's like reading a legal document. Romans is so heady. It's so intense. And, he's, and there's a purpose for the reason that Paul wrote differently to different people. 
And the reason that that Philippians is so ooey-gooey and touchy-feely is because Paul is talking like a dad to his kids, and he's just sharing really, really candidly with them. There's such an openness about it. There's such an honesty about the way that he writes. He's, it's, it's, it's as though he's talking to them like they're insiders. You know what I mean when I say that? Like, like they're insiders. Like, they're, like, hey, you guys, psst, Philippians, you guys are in on what I'm doing. You've, you've loved me to the degree that I feel that I can be very vulnerable with you. It's an extremely intimate letter. <clears throat> you can... You can look at, at sections like Philippians chapter 3 where he talks about the vision of where he's going. I press towards the prize for the high call of God in Christ. He says, I was, I'm, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's, he's, very, he's very ready to, to be vulnerable and to be transparent with them. He's saying, before I was saved, I was a butthead. I was a jerk. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I had all the perfect things that the law required of me, yet I was without Christ. It's, it's as though he's creating a safe space for those people. It's amazing. He talks to them like they're insiders. The people of the church of Philippi had Paul's heart because they cared for Paul unlike any other church that he ministered to. I found this to be amazing. There's a principle here that before we even get into any of the verses and the content of the letter, there's a principle here that sticks out like a sore thumb. The principle is that it's very important that we learn to care for the people whom God has placed in our lives. This church, unlike any other church, setting the stage for everything that Paul's getting ready to write to them about, this church cares for their leader like nobody else. This church cared for Paul. They saw the deposit that he made in them, and they, they loved him for it. They valued him for it. It's amazing. You see, we have a responsibility to one another. Everybody in this room, everybody watching online that calls High Country Christian Church your home, we have a responsibility to each other. And the Philippian church, more than anybody, understood that responsibility. I have friends on my job. I have friends in the community. I have friends at other churches. I have all those things, and those are great things to have. But my first priority, my first responsibility is to you. And your first responsibility is to me and to each other. Our first responsibility is to one another because we're a family. Amen. Praise God. I didn't know this was going to be so touchy-feely this morning. That's good. We're, we're a family, man, and we have a responsibility to care for one another. Listen, when you, when you hear about somebody in the church that's struggling, you need to figure out what you can do to help. Amen. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be, you know, grandiose. It can be a phone call. It can be a text message. It can be some cookies, you know. It can be a gift certificate to Starbucks for $5 or to whatever, it can be anything. But the thing is, and this is why I feel that it's so important for us to be studying this letter right now, is because right now people are struggling more than they've ever struggled to remain connected. It's true. Right now, people in our world, not just in our church, not just in our town, but everywhere, people are struggling to be connected. Everybody is burned out on Zoom calls. Okay, I was talking to my pastor and he said, yeah, everybody's experiencing Zoom fatigue. 
We're just fatigued, man. I don't want, I don't want to do another conference call. I just want to hug somebody. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't want to do all this. I, I just want to be back in fellowship. And so right now, people struggle to maintain a sense of connection and community and connectivity. So now, more than ever, we need to highlight our responsibility to each other. When we sense a need, don't wait for somebody else to fill it. Did you ever think that maybe God's showing you a need so that you can be the one to fill it? Selah. A lot of amens on that one. That's great. Amen. Did you, did you ever think that maybe God is exposing needs to us, not so that we can point a finger at them, but so that we could fill that need? You see, the Philippian church learned the secret of honor, and it caused them to be able to receive things from Paul that no other church was having access to. They valued Paul more than others, and so they benefited more than others did in their relationship with him. You could compare them to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is known as the carnal church. How many of you know we don't want to be the carnal church? Amen? The Corinthian church, they, they wanted to get something from Paul. They were consuming they were consuming everything of Paul. In fact, we're going to find out about this here in just a few moments, so I don't want to get ahead of myself, but Paul was in Corinth when the Philippians sent him an incredible offering, and it actually did some amazing things for Paul's ministry. But if you were to juxtapose those two together, here's the Corinthian church. They're very, they're, they're very spiritual. They've got all the makings of what we would call intense spirituality. Oh, boy, could they prophesy. Oh, man, could they, could they put on a worship service? They could give you all the fuzzies when you came in. You could get all the, you know, goosebumps when you came into a service at Corinth. Like, ooh, didn't you feel the presence of God? But they didn't know how to love each other. They're fighting and bickering. Paul has to do, Paul has to do nothing but correction for the Corinthian church. But these people at Philippi, they learned a different secret. They learned the secret of honor and value. And so they got to benefit from Paul in ways that other churches couldn't even imagine. You will receive, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to write this down. You will receive value from what or who you value. You will receive honor from what or who you honor. The Philippians discovered the secret of honor. This message of honor is something that can help us turn the tide in our nation, in our community, in our churches, in our families, this concept and this principle of honor, there's never been a greater time for honor than right now. There's never been a time when honor has been necessary more than it is right this second, at least not in our lifetimes. We have, as a culture and as a nation, we have totally forgotten how to honor. We don't honor anybody anymore. Nothing is sacred anymore. Amen. It's quiet in this church this morning. It's Selah. Now we've lost, we've lost sight on how to honor, but the Philippians teach us how by their actions toward the Apostle Paul. It was an amazing thing.
This message of honor is something so important, it will help us to turn the tide in our nation. Do you want to know why? Because honor disarms offense. Honor disarms offense. Honor lowers the walls of defense. Honor softens the heart. How do we, how do we fix the pain that we see in our culture right now? Everybody is fighting. Have you noticed this? My parents and I were having a great conversation yesterday about this very subject. We had observed some things on social media and and we were having this, we got into this pretty intense conversation. It was wonderful. And we were talking, we're just like, you know what? Everywhere I look, people get so beat up on social media and they get so fatigued because all that you see right now is just fighting and strife. It's just fighting. This, this one's yelling over here, and then this one with a different viewpoint's trying to out-yell this one who's yelling here. And then pretty soon they start yelling at each other. And then everybody gets to peer in and listen in, and then in the comments section, all those people start yelling at each other in the comments section. What would happen if we pumped the brakes on all the yelling and just started to honor one another and just say, hey, time out. I honor you. I honor you because you're another human being. I honor you because you're another believer. I honor you because you're my brother, my sister. I honor you because you're my family member. I honor you because you're my parents. I honor you because you're an authority in my life. What happened to that? Doesn't seem to exist anymore. But the Philippian church learned the secret of honor. And it caused Paul, it's caused something unique to happen in Paul that you don't see elsewhere in the New Testament. Now, let's keep going. Are y'all doing okay? I know I'm giving you like some, you know, uh, professor kind of stuff here for just a few minutes, but let's talk about the writing of Philippians. Philippians was written by Paul almost 10 years after he started the church. Okay, so as I said, he came out of Galatia, out of Asia Minor, which is now Turkey, crossed over into Macedonia, and the first church he planted there was Philippi or the the Philippian church. He then continued in a circuit and planted a bunch of other churches. And it was 10 years after he planted that church that he actually got to write to them. Paul, this, this book was written during the two years in which Paul was in prison in Rome, probably early in the year A.D. 62 or 61. So the, the Philippian church was established in 52 and Paul was writing at the end of 61 or 62, almost a decade later. What's so cool about this book is that it was a thank you letter written to the church after they'd heard of Paul's imprisonment. They sent a man named Epaphroditus from Philippi. You'll see Epaphroditus mentioned in the book. They sent Epaphroditus from Philippi across to Rome, and and, and what... uh, Epaphroditus brought with him was another offering. These people just love to give to Paul. It's amazing. Now, there's two major themes that we uncover in the book. Two major themes. Number one, joy. Number two, partnership. These are the two main themes of Philippians. Joy and partnership. This is why I say we need to hear this message of this book at a time like this. If we we don't see the wisdom of God in leading us to study this book, we're not paying attention. 
Because what does our life, what does our world need right now? It needs a dose of joy and it needs a good sense of partnership. We need to return to being our brother's keeper again. We need to return to a, a place where the walls are lowered, where offense is disarmed, where we honor each other enough to say, that's my brother, that's my sister, I'm in covenant with them, I'm partnering with them, and I'm going to move forward with a sense of great joy. Amen. Amen. The world is torn apart because it's lost its sense of joy. Now, I want to talk about these two major themes in the book for just a few moments. And then we'll actually read a scripture. What do you think about that? Amen. Number one, let's talk about joy for a moment. How many of you could use more joy in your life? Amen. All the folks online said amen. Praise God. Paul uses these words, joy and rejoice in this book 14 times, 14 times. Now, I think that's amazing because this book only has four chapters and they're not very long. You can read the entire book of Philippians about 15 minutes, 10 if you're fast. And this, this book is so crammed full of joy, Paul uses joy and rejoice 14 times. Look at, look at Philippians chapter 2, Verse 16, this is amazing. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I've not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul, what's going to keep you filled with joy? How is it that you can rejoice in the challenging seasons, in the... In the in the desert seasons of life, you know, we talked a few minutes ago about Psalm 92 and how the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. How are you going to flourish like a palm tree in your desert season, Paul? How are you going to be able to rejoice in hardship? It's real simple. I'm holding fast the word of life. Y'all could have said amen. You just missed a spot to say amen right there. You hold fast the word of life, and that causes you to rejoice when the going gets tough. Amen. When things get challenging, when life starts to push back against you, where, where does your joy come from? It comes from this book. It comes from the word of God. It comes from communion and fellowship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. We say this one so much. Shoot, they wrote songs about it. We sing praise and worship songs about this. Jo uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. You think joy is a, one of the major themes of this book? I just read you 12 times, there's 12, or excuse me, I just read you two more. There's 12 more uh, occasions where these words are used in four short little chapters. This book is about joy. This book is about you and I receiving the joy of the Lord, which the Bible says is our strength. Nehemiah said that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You see, you and I need some uncommon strength when we get into challenging situations. What is it that's going to continue to cause our church and the people of our church to increase throughout any and every season that we face? It's going to be joy. It's going to be the strength of God that comes from his joy being in our lives. 
Paul, above everybody else in the New Testament, Paul has this amazing sense of being able to say, hey, I know that life is tough right now. I know that things are difficult, but you can still have joy in the midst of all of it. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice in the Lord. Paul, if you didn't get it the first time, get it the second time. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice in the Lord. You have a reason to shout. You have a reason to lift your voice. You have a reason to to be glad and happy in God because he has given you his joy. When you reach the end of your rope, when you come to the end of what you can do, Your faith will take you beyond your own ability and you can rejoice when everybody else around you is crying the blues. Amen. And man, if you look at Paul, it's so funny because if you look at the life of Paul, you see that he used this tactic. He he discovered this secret of joy early on and he, he needed it in his ministry life all the time. I mean, look at Paul. The dude went through more stuff in a weekend that most of us will ever go through in our lives. I mean, they stone him, they leave him for dead. He goes to another city, they start a riot. He has to climb over the city walls to, to get out. They arrest him, they flog him, they beat him, they throw him in prison. He's in prison. Instead of pouting, he and Silas lift up their voices. And what happens? God opens the prison door, everybody gets saved. You see, joy will cause things unnatural, unusual, miraculous, spontaneous things to happen in your life. That that the situations that other people go through, you'll go through the same situation, but you'll come out completely different than they come out. Why? Because you learned how to rejoice in the situation. Glory to God. You learn how to say, you learn how to straighten up your back and put your head high and say, if God be for me, who can be against me? Glory to God, I'm going to have joy no matter what the situation looks like. I mean, Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was on the island of Malta while he's just trying to build a fire after they just got shipwrecked and gets bitten by a doggone snake. I mean, this guy had every reason to just yell some expletives and go, what's the deal? But what did he do? His joy turned every situation around and forced the situation to further the cause of Christ. He refused to let the situation bring him down. He forced the situation to come up to where he was. Amen. Most of us were so used to sitting in our own situations, <laughs> like a kid in a diaper. We just, you know, I know it stinks, but it's warm and it's mine and it's, I'm comfortable here. So it's, you know, we just get used to sitting in our own stuff instead of learning the secret of rejoicing in the Lord so that everything around us comes up to a whole new place and we begin to give God the glory in every situation. I'm telling you, that's how you increase. I said this during the beginning of the service. This is not going to be, I'm going to make a prophetic declaration. I want you to know it. This is not going to be our season of decline. It's going to be our season of increase. I'm telling you, you're going somewhere to happen. You're going somewhere to happen. There's a purpose in your life that has not changed from the day you were born, from the day God put you in your mother's womb, and he, that purpose that he put in you is still valid. It's still active. It's still going on. I know our world has changed and it may or may not return to what it used to be, but that doesn't matter. We refuse to decline. We're too busy increasing because the joy of the Lord is our strength and we've learned to praise our way through every challenging situation. Amen? Glory to God. Too busy winning to lose. 
Amen. So the major theme of this book is joy. The second major theme. I got excited there for a second. I, praise God. Yeah, amen. The second, the second major theme is partnership. The word fellowship uh, is the Greek word koinonia, or some say kinonia. I don't know how exactly to pronounce it, but koinonia, kinonia, it's used five times through this book, and it means fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation. It actually means the intimacy of a man and a woman is what this word koinonia means. And Paul uses it all over this book. In fact, after Paul plants this church in Philippi, I alluded to this a few moments ago, after he plants this church, he leaves and continues to travel west into Greece. He makes his way to Athens and finally to Corinth. What happens is each stop that he makes to minister, each place that he plants a church, leaving Philippi and eventually getting to Corinth, every time he stops to plant a church, he leaves a team member or two behind and he makes an investment financially into that church so that by the time he gets all the way around to Corinth, he's broke and alone. It's wild. He's broke and he's alone. When the Philippian church hears about this, you see, or excuse me, he's, he's in Corinth and, and he's the, the, the church in Corinth is not supporting itself and it's not supporting Paul. So Paul actually goes, you remember how Paul made tents? You hear about him talking about Paul being a tent maker? This happened in the city of Corinth. And, and Paul is so stressed out trying to get this Corinthian church off the ground that he's working six days a week making tents just so that he can ha- get enough money to have a, a one meeting a week and support the Corinthian church. So it's week to week, and he's struggling. The Philippian church hears about this, and they raise a massive offering, and they send it to Paul in Corinth. Now, you, 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 it's so easy to understand after reading that why Paul loved this church so much. It's easy to understand why he, he looked so fondly on them and why he thought of them really and truly as his kids. These are my people. These are my insiders. Why? Because they just take such good care of me. And it, it, it provoked something in Paul that you just don't see anywhere else. Now, the offering is so significant, check this out, this offering is so significant because it ends up not only helping Paul out in Corinth, but it funds the remainder of his missionary trip, and it gives him enough to travel on to Ephesus and to plant the Ephesian church. This is so significant because the Ephesian church is the world's first megachurch. When Timothy took over as pastor, they estimate that the Ephesian church had anywhere from 60 to 90,000 people in it in Ephesus. And that church got started. It was a revival unlike anything else seen in the New Testament or in the early church. What happened in Ephesus was so significant. And it became, Ephesus became the hub of a a wheel that shot off in every direction in Asia Minor. Seven different churches came out of the Ephesian church and out of that revival. And none of that would have happened without the gift that the Philippians sent to Paul while he was in Corinth. This church and this book is so significant. 
the most significant move of God in the known world at that time was funded by this little church that Paul had such a love for. Why? Because they understood the secret of honor and they understood the value of partnering. They partnered with Paul and it caused something so amazing to happen that literally the rest of the church globally at that time was impacted by it. You see, we just don't understand, we just don't have any idea sometimes how valuable our little contributions to the things of God actually are. I'm not just talking about financial or monetary. I'm talking about you taking the time to speak life into somebody else. You taking the time to care for someone else. You don't even know the ripple effect that will happen as a result of that. I'm sure that the Philippian church had no idea how significant in church history their gift to Paul would be. They just heard that, hey, Brother Paul's over there in Corinth, and, you know, Johnny said he's making tents. What's up with that? He's trying so hard to plant a church, and those boneheads over there in Corinth don't seem to figure out why Paul's so important. We got to do something. There was an urgency about their life because they partnered with this man of God, and I'll bet you they had no idea what their gift was going to mean for the church globally at that time. Isn't that amazing? I think it would be super cool, and I'd love to see this on instant replay when I get to heaven, but I think it would be super cool for those Philippian believers that when they got to heaven, they got to see the results of that gift. Wouldn't that be amazing for them to step out of time, to step over into eternity? They go home to be with Jesus, and when they get there, Jesus says, hey, taps them on the shoulder, let me show you what your, what your gift did. Let me show you the impact of your life. Because maybe it didn't feel significant. And in that moment, we go to find out that the, the Philippians had a lot of poverty. That a lot of times when they made a gift to Paul, they were going way beyond their comfort zone and they were doing more than what they actually could do. They were doing it by faith. I think it would be so amazing if they got to heaven and got to just peer over the edge and look and see at the impact that their life made at the impact that that one little gift made. Some of them, you know, maybe they didn't give money, but they gave clothes. Paul talks about the jacket that Epaphroditus brought for him. You know, what, what, if, what if their gift was so insignificant in that moment, but as the ripple effects went out, they realized it actually changed the course of history. Because without the Ephesian church, the gospel doesn't have the effect that it had. Christianity as a whole, 2,000 years later, would look completely different without the Ephesian church. And I wonder whether the Ephesian church would have ever happened if it were not for the Philippians' generosity. Now, I want to close by looking at the first three verses. Philippians chapter 1. I hope that was a substantial enough introduction that we understand what we're dealing with in this book. And I hope, too, that, that you never read this book the same way. I hope that we, that we get to look into Philippians and that what we cover over the next weeks, in my, in my heart, I hope that it changes how you read this book forever. Amen? So let's read Philippians 1, 1 through 3. Paul and Timothy, bondservants, 
of Jesus Christ. Stop. <laughs> you know me, I can't go very far without having something to say. Paul and Timothy are writing this together. Remember that this was written in Paul's prison time. Timothy, who is Paul's son in the faith, is visiting him in Rome, spending time with him. And that's why Paul addresses it as from himself and Timothy. Though Paul is the author, Timothy was getting to be part of the conversation too. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. So that's everybody. Grace to you, verse two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are thankful that there's grace to you and there's peace from God in your life? Amen. If you don't ever know what to pray over your family, just turn to any one of Paul's epistles and pray the opening over your family. Father, this morning I pray grace to my family and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. If you, I'm serious, man. If you, if you ever are in a situation where you don't know what to pray, like, man, I want to pray for my kids, but I don't know how to, just pray the introduction to any one of Paul's letters because they're loaded. They're just chock full of goodies that you can pray over your family. How about, how about we have some more grace in our families to, to us from God? How about we have more peace from God our Father? Wouldn't that be awesome? Now watch verse three. This is where we're going to end today. I know it's kind of funny to end on the third verse of a chapter. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Look at the first sentence of verse chapter four. I lied. We're going to go a little tiny bit farther. Always in every prayer of mine. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine. Look at the commitment of this man of God to the people he was called to serve. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Absolutely amazing to me that Paul has such an incredible love for these people. I believe it was because of their commitment to partnering with him. I believe it was because they saw value in Paul that they didn't see in other people. They saw something special about the gift of God that was in Paul's life. And they said, we are going to commit ourselves not just to the man, but to the gift. And in turn, this causes Paul to do something unprecedented. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine. That means two things. That means every time Paul thought about the Philippians, he prayed for them. And that means that in every prayer of his, he included the Philippians. That means if we take the word to be true and we take the word to be literal, every time Paul sat down to bless his food, Lord Jesus, thank you for this food that's prepared before me. Oh, and bless the Philippians church in Jesus' name. That means that every time he was praying for, one, for the Galatians, he was tagging the Philippians in on that prayer. Lord, I, I pray for these Galatian people. I pray this, I pray that, I pray the other. And Lord, let that happen for Philippi too. 
And every time he thought of them, he prayed for them. What would happen if you and I took on the same responsibility in prayer for our church, for our community, for our families? What if you just made a decision in your life that every time I think of so-and-so, I'm going to pray for him? What if, you, what if you made the decision, every time I think of High Country Christian Church, I'm going to speak a blessing over it. Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for causing us to increase. Thank you for the people of our church. Thank you for Pastor Josh. Thank you for Pastor Brianne. Thank you, Father. We bless you in Jesus' name. Bless our church. Amen. What did that take? Four seconds? I love that Paul starts this letter this way. You want to know why? This letter was a thank you to the Philippian church. You remember that I said that Epaphroditus came from Philippi with an offering to visit Paul and Timothy while he was in jail in Rome. He spent some time with them and Paul was so overwhelmed and so blessed by the gift that they sent that this was his thank you note back to the Philippian church. He wrote this letter and gave it to Epaphroditus and said, take this back to my people. Take this back to my insiders. Take this back to the ones that I love, that love me so much. Take this back to all these people who value me so much and tell them how much I love them. Tell them how thankful I am for them. Tell them how grateful I am for them. Matter of fact, tell them that every time I think about them, I pray for them. That's partnership, guys. That's, we're in this together. That's going beyond casual observance. You know, the gospel is so important. What we do as a church is changing and shaping life in our community. Do you remember that on January 26th of this year, I stood right here to a a full house. (laughs) None of this COVID craziness had happened yet, and or well, we weren't aware of it anyways, if it was happening. But we were here together and, and I stood up and I shared with you guys the vision that God gave our church for the year 2020. And do you remember what that vision was? A transformation of life. Well, suffice it to say, life's been pretty, pretty transformed, hasn't it? <laughs> but you know what? We laugh about it because it seems that it's been transformed in perhaps a negative way, but I don't think God's done with us yet. Do you? I don't think he's finished, and I don't think his word falls short at all. And I believe there's still a transformation of life that needs to happen in us, in our church, in our community, and beyond. And here's the charge that I keep getting in my heart as I'm reading this Philippians book. I keep coming back to, what if we just took on the responsibility of praying for one another? and partnering with each other so that the transformation that God wants to see in our church will actually come to pass. What if every time I thought of one of you, I just decided to pray for you? What if every time one of you thought of another one of you, you just decided, hey, I'm gonna pray. I'm just gonna be like Paul and I'm gonna take that responsibility and every time I think of you, I'm gonna speak a blessing over your life. What if I'm just, you know, chopping vegetables in my kitchen because I like to do all the cooking or, or not all the cooking, but a lot of cooking at our house. I like to do the cooking. What if I'm just chopping vegetables and all of a sudden I think, man, Leslie and Danny did such a good job of search, service on Sunday and I just say, 
Lord, just bless Danny and bless Leslie right now. I just speak blessing and favor into their life and into their families in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me keep chopping these onions. What if we just did that? It's so simple. It's so easy. It's so, it's, so, it's so simple. It's almost dumb. It's almost, you know what I'm saying? It's like so simple. It's like, well, duh. Of course we can do that. Because like these Philippians, we're invested in one another. We're learning the secret of honor, just like they learned that secret of honor. I believe God's going to speak to us out of this book in the coming weeks. I believe he's going to challenge us. I believe he's going to call us up higher. And I believe he's going to cause us to grow as a result of it. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.